I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. How shaky is your faith? How shaky is your faith? It has everything to do, of course, with our foundation, right? So I just want you to be very aware today that our Father will rattle and shake everything in us and around us till all our trust is settled and firmly founded on our rock. Okay? That's what he does. Therefore, let us, okay, since we understand that, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken because it's kind of a painful, painful process to get it there. A lot of shaking required. So we've got to be thankful. Let us be thankful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You know, knowing that he's got to shake us, to wake us, to firm up our faith so that we can receive his unshakable kingdom with unshakable trust. Which, which means resting in and on, first and foremost, the bedrock of the resurrection of Christ. Because it all hinges on that. It all, you know, the resurrection of Christ, which as the naysayers love to say, is rife with contradictions. I would say uh, Apparent contradictions. They would say contradictions that undermine its strength and stability. And I mean, they do have a point about the, uh, about the importance, you know, being that Paul, the apostle himself, said, if Christ has not been raised, well, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. It all comes back to the resurrection. So important. And yet, and this is a big and yet, when it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to Jesus' testimony as presented in God's word, don't assume the Lord is trying to be clear. Because boy, have I learned this lesson. He's not. He's not. He's training and testing your trusting until you really lean into it as his child and trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not ever lean on your own, you know, faulty understanding when it contradicts his. Because as we saw last time I was up here, a, uh, a trust fall doesn't work so well on our own, Right? And in fact, only the most arrogant, ignorant idiot thinks they can trust their self to catch their self to save their self. So if you were here, you probably remember, remember that, that rock in the wall, right? The rock in the wall that's not a rock at all, right? But it's just, it's just wrong thinking, that's founded on a lack of perceiving what is actually the ash end of a protruding cigar, right? 
Well, here's mud in your eye. <laughs> uh, remember when Jesus put the mud in the guy's eye? Here's mud in your eye. Because you, do you know why Jesus came into this world? There's more than just the one big reason. Jesus himself said, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. We'll help them out. And this is where it gets scary. And coming into the world here so that those who see, those who think they see, may be made blind. Well, some Pharisees who thought they see, some Pharisees said to him, are we, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, oh, if you were blind, you know, if you knew that you were blind, if you knew that you were blind, you'd have no sin. See, apparently you don't get docked for having wrong answers just for thinking that you got all the right ones. Now, if you knew you were blind, you'd have no sin. But now you say, oh, we see, therefore, uh, your sin remains. And one of the ways he blinds those wise in their own eyes is by saying things about the resurrection. Like, and we went over this as a quick reminder, like the son of man must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But he must uh, be three nights in the heart of the earth. And... After three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Hopefully you're beginning to see that again in there. <laughs> that rise again. Now, he died on a Friday and rose Sunday morning. So, uh, several of you have said, could you give us a chart or a graph or something, please? I said, well, it's just Friday, Saturday. Say, but none, here's a chart. Uh, he died on Friday. He rose on Sunday morning. And if you've stayed in a hotel, okay, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if you've stayed in a hotel, you know full well, if you check out early on day three, you've only stayed two nights, right? So how can he rise early on day three and yet spend three nights below in Sheol, that's what it's called, and you have to understand, most of you now know the answer to that, right? And it's a pretty simple answer. But you have to understand the gravity of the situation. This is universally seen right now, in our lifetime, right now, real time, as a hopeless contradiction of Jesus' resurrection. To which I say, uh, blind, arrogant, ignorant. Because by simply taking Jesus at his word, just, just take him at his word, we can see that he rose early on the third day, right? And then because he said it, he returned to Sheol the third night when he disappeared. And that's the funniest part. We know on the third night he disappeared for several hours. Just where did he go? Uh, where he said and then later reappeared and ascended to heaven after three days. You see, it's not a case of contradictory accounts. In fact, kind of the opposite. It's a case of complementary components. You need all three to really see the truth 
that is simultaneously used to blind. And to leave his statements unrectified and unwoven, being content with ignorance of their existence. Like, oh, I didn't even know that was in there. Really? Because you do know that your entire faith is based on that, right? Everything is based on that. You really didn't know that was in there? Don't be content with ignorance. Or worse, being okay with their apparent paradox. Because that may betray an underlying self-deceiving belief that God is in fact the author of confusion. Which he says he isn't. Who, who would then therefore require, you know, a little bit of grace. Ah, well, he couldn't quite get that right. Well, welcome to the place where we refuse to give God grace, okay? We absolutely refuse to give God grace because only an arrogant ignoramus would think he needs it or that we have it to bestow upon him. No, we will worship him appropriately with reverence and awe. Yeah, I'm preaching it. You know, I said this is off the script, but you know, I love to say if God if God can't write a book, he can't be God. He don't, he don't need our help. He needs our seeking. Okay, I don't want to preach that message. I proclaim to you, writes Paul, I proclaim to you that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. Okay? The scriptures work. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. You got to accord those scriptures, okay? And in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits. Oh, we got to know what that means. As the first fruits of the first harvest of those who have died. He was raised as the first fruits, huh? First fruits. First fruits belong to one harvest. Is what dedicates that harvest to God right before it's reaped. So important to understand, he was the first fruits of a harvest. First thing that you take and go, hey God, we got the harvest, we want to dedicate it to you. And he says, great, I bless it, go reap it. Well, he was raised as the first fruits, okay, of uh, those who've died. For since death came, Paul goes on, for since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, past tense and future tense. All will be made alive in Christ, including Christ, okay? But each in his own order. So who's first? The first fruits, Christ, Christ on the third day. As the first fruits of the harvest of the dead. Then, then on the third night, at his coming to the heart of the earth, those who belong to Christ, those who belong to the harvest of Christ, who is the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, well, Daniel saw it. Daniel saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near. They brought him near. Who? The clouds. The clouds of heaven. You know the great cloud of witnesses? You know that cloud he ascends in? They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. An unshakable kingdom that we are receiving. Which shall not be destroyed. Like, like Israel was and Jerusalem was in 70 AD. Remember Jesus said to the thief on the cross? 
today you will be with me. Today, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I'll bet he's thinking, but wait till you see where we'll be in three nights. Oh, goodness. Then, okay, so we got two things down. We got the first fruits and then those who are his part of the harvest at the coming. Then after those two things comes the end. Okay. Zechariah saw it. Zechariah tells us, then the Lord my God will come. And well, all the holy ones with him. Because now they're with him. And so it goes on to say, uh, when he hands over the kingdom, the unshakable kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. So let's be clear. He's not trying to be clear. He's trying to train our heart to lean on him rather than, you know, on our own arrogant ignorance. And that requires shaking things up in our world and in his word. I mean, check out the story of the centurion. I love this. The story of the centurion at the cross, the moment Jesus dies. Uh, Keep your eyes peeled for the cigar in the wall, okay? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, okay? The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Well, when the centurion and those uh, with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had, that had happened, well, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Right? Little scene at the cross there, right? So... When did the earth shake? When did the earth shake and uh, the rocks split and the tombs break open and the bodies of the holy people raised to life? Keep, Keep in mind that third day, right, where he rises and that third night and that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Because the prophets and Moses said that he would be the first to rise from the dead. You think of people coming out of their tombs when he died on the cross? For in Yah, the Lord, remember Yah, that's when we hallelujah. Yah is the one who rides on the clouds, right? For in Yah, the Lord writes Isaiah, is everlasting strength. Oh, with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Guess which night? Third night. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise awake and sing you who dwell in the dust. Oh, multitudes, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. An angel tells Daniel will awake. And at the end of the days, guess how many? Three. (laughs) You're getting good. See if you can do me on the next one. Uh, You, Daniel, will rise. Awake, awake, shake off your dust till it's unshakable. Nothing left to shake out. And rise up. (laughs) It sounds like wise up. And rise up, you guys. I, I need a voice for Job. I know that my redeemer lives, says Job, and that in the end of the days, in the night, after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Oh, say to my soul, uh, say to my soul, I am your salvation, writes David. Wake yourself up. Wake yourself up, Jesus. Wake yourself up and arise to my right because you have visited me in the night. Guess which one? Third. 
<laughs> you have visited me in the night. Arise, O Lord. I will see your face when I awake in your likeness. For a time is coming. Guess when? Three days, three nights. Says Jesus, the guy who said, I'll be in the heart of the earth three nights. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, oh, they will rise to life, to live. So when did the earth shake? Did you, find, did you notice the cigar as I ran past it? Did you notice that? Do you notice those three little words in Matthew's story there after Jesus' resurrection? How many of you noticed them? Raise your hand. How many of you didn't notice it? Raise your hand. How many of you hate raising your hand? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Such a dumb joke. I don't know how many times I read that in the last 50 years and never noticed it. You know, you can watch TV Jesus. A lot of times TV Jesus, when he dies on the cross, all the tombs break open, the people come out. After Jesus. Do you see how it's just tucked in there? Out of sequence? waiting to be noticed and relocated to its rightful position where it says it goes. This is a great example, really, really good example for you guys of how the out-of-sequence pieces of the Gospels can be, must be, firmly founded, not by guessing, but by seeking. Because Matthew anchors that earthquake just 12 Verses later. When old Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Uh, some of your translations say another Mary, which I think is hilarious. And another Mary. Oh, Matthew. Oh, Matthew, that other Mary. Would that be Jesus' mother Mary? Or would that be Mary, the mother of James and Joseph? Or would that be Mary, the mother of John Mark? Or would that be Mary of Bethany? Or would that be Mary of Clopas? Because there are at least five other Marys in the crucifixion story. Not by accident. This is how he makes the wise in their own eyes blind. Another Mary. <laughs> it's just, it is kind of funny though. <laughs> Back to what I'm preaching on. So we got Mary and Mary. Went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake. There it is. There it is. You know, the earth shook and the rocks split. And here's why. Now we get to know why. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> His appearance, by the way, was like lightning. And we can't appreciate how terrifying that would be. His appearance was like lightning. The guards were so afraid of him that they, they shook. He's talking about the earth shaking. They shook. And became like dead men. You will know, just. <laughs> because. As Matthew said 12 verses earlier. When the centurion. And those with him. Who were guarding Jesus. Saw the earthquake. And all that had happened. They were terrified. And so they, he adds on here. And some of the guards. Went into the city and reported to the chief priest, not to the Romans, to the chief priests, everything that had happened, which is why they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. And the chief priest gave him soldiers a large sum of money telling him, don't say that, whatever you do, don't say that. 
You're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. So the soldiers took the money. It was a big old wad of money, but it was coins. So it was a wad of a bag of money. The soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. These guys were shaken to the core, right? Couldn't be shaken more. But when they go into the city, the reality of owning their declaration, leaning into that truth, living out the ramifications begins to settle in and they cave in to the pressure to deny what they know to be true. Read that with me, please. They cave to the pressure to deny what they know to be true. And they literally live a lie. Oh, they had their earth shaking moment of, you know, confessing Christ, right? But instead of holding on to it, they traded it. And here's something just fun. Here's like a little reward. Because by anchoring this, this particular piece in the place reserved for it, we get to see a powerful contrast. Who knew this was here? You see, the dead come alive and go into the city and proclaim the truth. Whereas the living become like the dead and go into the city and proclaim a lie. Which group you want to be in? The one, the one living, the, one, the dead who come alive or the living who become dead? You want to live a lie? You want to proclaim the truth? And it's all because of peer pressure, which is really just fear pressure. Because as we know, and we do, the clearest path is often the hardest to take. Just one more way he messes with us. It's like, yeah, I'm going to make sure you know it and see it. But oh, you ain't going to want to take it. That's how he shakes us to grow us. And it's that clear path. It's not that it's impossible. It's just usually like a little confusing or challenging, requiring no compromising, you know, like everything worth anything that we choose to overcome. Because trusting involves training. So you and I, we got to let the Lord, and especially through his word, do what he wants to do. In you, right? Even when it's unattractive to you. Those guys knew what, what they needed to do. They, I mean, they even said it. Surely he was the son of God. They knew what they needed to do just as, as we so often do. But their fear of man was greater than their reverence and awe of God. So they chose the faithless path of least resistance because it appeared much safer and much more lucrative. However, fear of man will prove again and again to be a snare, however well camouflaged. That path of avoidance is so tempting as pertaining to facing our fears, confronting our friends, forgiving our wrongdoers, Loving our haters ah. <laughs> and dealing with our sins. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you this week, I've been wondering how many times I personally have chosen the snare 
because I allowed my deceitful, backstabbing heart to convince me that the path of least resistance is a better way. But when you and I allow fear to dictate our decision uh, making, we lose our power to overpower darkness with light. It's just gone. Lights out. And if we give into it, adjust our life around it, we're, we're just taking a bribe to keep quiet about all that we know to be true. And boy, that's when I'll tell you, although he won't forsake us, oh, he will shake us to wake us in order to remove our comfort so we can grow in our trust of the truth. Or I'll tell you this much, you were once darkness, right? But now you are light. You, you are light in the Lord, of course. Live as children of the light and, and find out what pleases the Lord. And have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is light, which is what you are that makes everything visible. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, let's face it, these bodies aren't getting any younger, right? But your spirit should be. Spirit should be getting younger, increasing in youthful enthusiasm and passion and drive as we're being transformed by his spirit as his children inside. So when you're shaken and awaken, don't hit that snooze button and go back to sleep. That's what the guards did. That is just a wicked bribe to stay warm and comfy and asleep, even though you know it's time to wake up. So really, the closing question is, are you going into the city to proclaim truth and light and new life or something much darker. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and trust you and worship you with reverence and awe. Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue to shake us and wake us and firm up our faith. And Lord Jesus, we praise you and Thank you for an unshakable kingdom and all the grace that you have to give to us. We love you. Everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.